Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, Perry McIntyre, I read on Facebook this week that you're now a landowner. Well done. Well done. Well done. So, um, ladies, if you want to form an orderly queue, uh, there'll be a 15-minute interview with Perry and his mother and yourself, um, and we'll get you all sorted. We'll uh, check your references and all that jazz. Um, Is... Joel Wilkinson here? No, Joel's not here. Okay, I have a gift for Joel Wilkinson. Um, Joel very kindly gave my seven-year-old Parker a drum kit this week. (laughs) And so I've got a lovely little lump of manure for him that he can (laughs) pick up at another stage. Anyway, um, so we're going to talk about hope tonight. Uh, Finlay, the wonderful Finlay is on slides for the first time tonight. Hello, my friend. Thank you. If we could get the first one up. That would be fantastic. Um, The vision for Macquarie this year is hope. And we've taken that from Romans chapter 5. And as you walked in on the bridge, you would have seen the decal on the wall there, the verse from Romans 5 that is our verse for the year. And I I want to talk about that and expand that a little bit for us tonight. Um, And many of us entered this year hoping for good things. It's like, yeah, it's 2021, good riddance 2020, be done away with, yay, new start, the bad stuff's gone away. But now, it hasn't. There's still challenges. There's still uh, things that we contend with. There's still things we are struggling with. And maybe the year has not turned out as fresh and as new as we'd once hoped. And as Christians, we need to cherish and protect our hope. Because for many of us, this whole COVID thing, this whole 18 months has seen a lot of our hope removed. There's been hardship, there's been frustration, there's been disappointment And there have been unexpected and uninvited guests into our lives, into our circumstances. And now there's a generation, an entire generation, struggling, feeling mentally unhealthy, feeling downcast. In some of the stuff I do with my work outside of church world, there are people really going through a hard time because of what has happened to them just over the last 18 months. And the ongoing health effects and the burden that it will be for years and years to come will be quite prolific. But we, as Christians, we're called to be dealers of hope. But in order to give hope, we need to have it for ourselves first. So this year, we've been exploring and will continue to explore the ways in which God gets hope to us and through us. I want to introduce you to a man called Antonio Damazio on the next slide, please, Finlay. Thank you. This is a world-renowned American neuroscientist. He's the chief professor of neuropsychology at the University of Southern California, and he's the head of the Brain and Creativity Institute. And who watches TED Talks here? He is a rock star on TED. He's got over two million views with some of his uh, uh, presentations on cognition. He's published academic research papers, volumes and volumes of work on human cognition and decision-making. And his findings, all backed up with evidence, show that 95% of the time a person makes a decision, it is primarily their feelings and their emotions that decide for them. 95%. The average person makes about 35,000 decisions a day. Sometimes they're pretty straightforward, like, do I feel like a muffin? but sometimes they are significantly more complex. Should I go for that job? Should I marry that person? 
should I move to that city? And we're making them not out of logic, not out of a considered process, not even, 95% of the time, not even out of clinical common sense, but because of feelings and out of gut instinct. And let me tell you, right now, in the world today, and I'm seeing some evidence of it in, in, in the circles I deal with, there are people making decisions out of fear, out of uh, depressive, flat emotions, out of negativity. And so my question to you, church, is this. Would you trust someone who lies to you as much as your feelings do? Because hope is less about psychology, and for us, it's more about theology. Because we serve a God who can turn things around. So, our scripture for 2021 is Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, but I want to start reading from verse 1, and I think we've got it up on the screen for you there. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. <laughs> because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And our hope does not put us to shame, or in some translations, it doesn't disappoint us, it doesn't let us down. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. It talks about hope in verse 2, about being the hope of the glory of God. That's not just optimism. It's not just, I hope it's a nice day. It's not just, gee, I hope the Knights can win at least one more match this season. I tell you, just, come on, God. Um, it's a different hope. It is actually a hope that God's character, or the Bible says his glory, will be revealed in the things that happen to us and through us. That somehow, in my life, as I go through what I go through, God will be put on display. It's a Romans 8.28 hope. Let's have a read of that one. And we know that in all things, and that the word Greek there for all is pretty interesting, it means all. All things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So the hope that God has for us is a, a, a confidence. He will take the disappointments, he will take the heartbreaks, he will take the setbacks, he will take the broken lawnmowers... Amen. Claim it. It's yours. More Lord. Fill him. Um, he'll turn it into something that reveals his goodness. He'll take the stuff that sucks and somehow he will be recognised through it all. Guess what? Sometimes that means it doesn't work out the way you want it to. Or when you want it to. How you want it to. But we have this hope that he is working it all out for an ultimate or even an eternal good. In the end, he wins. Paul talks about how we now also stand in grace, and I need to be pretty upfront, grace is the key to all of this. All of this hope is a gift from God. Um, but get this, grace doesn't work like magic. Some Christians think that grace is this, this wonderful magic that just means everything's going to be okay. Grace works through truth, and sometimes that truth is confrontational. So there's some truth, truths here in Romans 5 that I want to have a look at, where Paul is showing us how grace can change us into people of hope. And the first truth, if we could get the next one up, please, Finlay. Here we go. Good news. 
Suffering produces perseverance. Yes. What a hooray. What a wonderful starting point. Suffering produces perseverance. Sorry, was that a bit contemporary? Sorry about that. Um, there's no such thing as a trouble-free Christian experience. Sorry, it's just not. Salvation is not a fairy tale. For some of us, and I know some of the stories, some of the heartbreaks, uh, some of the experiences that have happened to people in this room right now, and you know some of mine. There's pain in the offering. It can be a hard road. Pastor J.D. Greer from Summit Church in Carolina says this, the only way to have a pain-free life is to have a love-free life. And Christianity moves you towards love, not away from it. <laughs> Happily ever after may not be something you see here. Happily ever after may be something that you encounter in eternity with him. And get this, Jesus actually makes us a promise about this. If we can go to the next one, John 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> there you go. But take heart, I've overcome the world. We talk a lot in these wonderful Christian charismatic Pentecostal churches. We talk about claiming the promises of God. Well, how about that one? That's a ripper. That's an absolute belter. You're not going to see on someone's Instagram feed with a beautiful sunset in the background this next one. In this world, you will have trouble. With me sitting there with kombucha and the fingers up wearing Lululemon tights. <laughs> Hi. In this world, you have trouble. <laughs> My doctor sent me a note this week. He says I'm going to be an influencer. Oh, no, sorry. It says I've got influenza. Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. Thank you. I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. This is probably a bit mean. What's the weight of an influencer's brain? One Instagram. Sorry. Okay. All right. I better. I'm going to get off. Okay. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Paul doesn't debate about whether we will experience hard times. He doesn't say, "Well, you might have a bad run." He says it's a given. And if you read through the New Testament, if you read Peter, you read John, all the first Christians were threatened, many of them harmed. Paul himself was uh, uh, persecuted, beaten, thrown into jail. Jesus, God himself, was beaten, whipped, spat on and ultimately crucified, put to death by our hand. Because Jesus is not a guaranteed escape plan from your troubles but he is a guarantee that your troubles have a purpose. There is a reason why. You may not find out that reason until you've ultimately, until you've carked it, but there's a reason why sometimes life is hard. And somehow, God will work them all together for good. In some translations, the word suffering comes across as tribulations. You may have read that in the Bible at some point. And that word is from the Latin, tribulum. And I think we've got an image of a tribulum up on the screen. It's a wooden threshing board with metal shards and stones and flint hammered into the wood. And farmers would hook up this tribulum to the back of their mules or an ox and would drag the tribulum across their grain yields, across the wheat that they had picked up and, 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 and laid out. And the tribulum would start to separate the wheat from the chaff. It would scrape out the edible, usable grains from the husks and the chaff that they would later throw into the fire. And the, the farmers would use a tribulum to separate out the things that are important 
from the things that are of no worth. And so our tribulations, our sufferings, our hardships, they separate stuff out. Hard times show you what is important. And lovingly, sometimes God himself will let life drag over the top of you to uncover the good stuff. The perseverance, the character, and ultimately, the hope. Because the thing is, Jesus himself has gone through literal tribulation. When they whipped him before his crucifixion, he was whipped with a whip called a flagrum. It was like a cat of nine tails, but on each strand of the whip, they hammered in metal, stone, and flint shards, the very things that are on the back of a tribulum, and they whipped him with it. He was tribulated for us. Now, your, your struggles, your sufferings, they aren't the enemies of hope. They're actually the building blocks of hope. Because over time, your faith gets stronger. Over time, like tempered steel, if you get steel and you heat it and heat it and heat it and heat it over and over again, it gets stronger. The, the brittleness decreases, the stress points within it progressively weaken and it gets harder and harder to break. And sometimes I've seen God use suffering to make your faith unbreakable. Because you find out how strong you really are. You find out that God can actually work through these things for good. You find out, you, you take comfort in knowing that you are growing into a stronger version of yourself and you start seeing just how able God is. Don't think you're weird if your life is hard. Don't think you're an oddball if you've had a bad run. Don't assume, and some Christians will put this on you, don't assume you're doing something wrong if life sucks. Because if things were easy, if things were always just rainbows and skittles, you might think it's all thanks to you. If everything was straightforward and quick and nice, you might be tempted to take the credit, or in biblical terms, the glory, for yourself. But it's all his. It all belongs to him. When things are, when things are hard, God isn't punishing you, he's preparing you, so persevere. Pastor Greg Grishel from Life Church in America says this, sometimes in God, our preparation comes packaged in pain. Okay, let's move on to something a little bit more positive, the second truth. Next one, please, Finlay, thank you. Perseverance produces tested and true character. When you go through tribulation, when you persevere, you grow an authenticity in your faith. It's been tested, it's gone through the fire, and you've made it. It's authentic, it's, it's genuine. When you make it through a storm, there is this uh, provenness to your Christian character. And I know that I feel like I'm in safer hands when I sit under the ministry of someone who's done the hard yards. When I sit under the ministry of someone who's a wounded soldier, I just there's this, this reassurance about people who've come through the fire. Because get this, your Christian character is not inherited, it's not taught. Christian character doesn't come through Bible study, it doesn't come through knowing the Scriptures back to front, it doesn't come from serving on every flippin' roster under the sun... Christian character doesn't even come through prayer. It comes through testing. It comes through walking dark roads. It comes through hardship. 
It comes through walking out of that hardship with your faith intact. And dare I say it, in some situations, even thriving. And this proven character goes on to foster and strengthen hope. Because hope is like a muscle. If you don't use it, it doesn't grow. Okay, third truth. Let's keep moving. Thanks, Finlay. Tested and true character produces hope. When your faith's been under pressure and it's persevered, when your walk with God has proven to be genuine and authentic, when you figure out, hey, I'm not a fake Christian, this thing works, it gives you tangible hope that God is with you. It gives you a sense, hey, maybe I am actually his child. Nearly, gee, 15 years ago, when we were originally part of Macquarie before we moved to Melbourne, and we used to meet in that building there, which is now the cafe and the foyer. I had a big old faith obstacle that held me back in my hope with God. I was convinced that I was a hypocrite. I excelled at Bible college. I did well academically in, 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 in church world. I knew Christian stuff back to front. I had the head knowledge. I had the theology all down pat. But deep down in here, I was all at sea. I felt maybe that my faith was fake. Maybe it was just cultural. Maybe I was a Christian by culture only. And I was using Christianity as a way of fitting in here socially, to be part of the broader group think, so that you lot would take me in and like me because I spoke the same language as you. We used the same jargon as you. I followed the same practices as you, the same traditions as you. And I worried that, you know, I'd inherited faith from my mum, I'd grown up in a comfortable, familiar Christian environment, this was all very familiar to me, so I played it as my strength. And I heard many well-meaning Christians, um, none of them go to this church, uh, is, this, is this being recorded? No? Okay, they've all gone to Hope UC. Uh, so... <laughs> I heard many well-meaning Christians over the years encouraging me, they said this, don't depend on your own strength, Craig, depend on God's strength. Don't depend on you, depend on Him. What on earth does that mean? What is this, this mystical God's strength that I can somehow tap into? How do I get there? How do I make that work? It sounded lovely, but I had no jolly idea what it meant. And then our 10-year trip, our 10-year journey in Melbourne happened. Corey Ten Boom says this, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Because affliction, suffering, takes you beyond cultural Christianity. It takes you beyond churchianity. And it tribulates you into dependency on God. Uh, a little over six years ago, I was slow dancing with my wife Carly in our bedroom in Melbourne. And the Beatles song, Here Comes the Sun, was playing in the background. And tears were streaming down our faces. I was, I was weeping, wailing loudly, fearful that I was about to lose my wife, fearful that I was about to lose the mother of my son. We just found out that we needed to start an unwanted journey through aggressive cancer. Two years before that point, I had seen my dream church ministry vaporize in front of my eyes, just bang, out of nowhere. We'd seen our little boy, Parker, who many of you know, he's a seven-year-old cyclone who tears through this place, and now he's got a drum kit, he's going to live in the garage. <laughs> At eight days old, 
He needed open-heart surgery just to get him across the line. His little body was cut open and they put things in him and they re-engineered his heart just so that he could live. They told us to abort him. They said, your child, these were the words, I'll never forget them, your child is not viable. And we took it to God and now I'm yelling at him every day, put your socks on. I'd never had a season where I'd crowd out to God so much. And in some ways, we felt like a young David in the Word. We'd faced our bear, we'd faced a lion, and now we were looking at Goliath, and I couldn't see any smooth stones or a sling lying around. I said to God, hey God, why don't you change tactics with me? Why don't you try something different? Why are you using suffering to change me? Why don't you change me and make me more Christ-like through outrageous and ridiculous blessing? Because let me tell you, I would be a mighty fine Christian disciple driving around in an Aston Martin. I would, let me tell you, I would have a great small group on a yacht. But step by step, God dragged us through that. And the people that I love literally have scars to prove it. And there's more steadiness to my faith now. There's more uh, pruning of the cultural Christianity out of me. And things are working out. They're not working out perfectly, but from our perspective, we know God has been with us and he will be with us. You're, you're here. Many of you have walked through stuff. Many of you are walking through stuff now, but yet you've turned up to church. You're still worshipping, you're still serving, you're still giving, you're still believing. Even after the world has been turned on its head, you're still here. That's a victory. That's a more significant victory than you know and it's evidence of your faith. Well done. It's building your character. You're stronger now. You're wiser now. You're more compassionate now. Fourth truth. Here we go. Hope does not disappoint. Even in the midst of pain, we can see God refining us. And we have hope that suffering isn't the end of the story. He will always have the final word. Paul says this, hope doesn't put us to shame because God's poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. For the Bible nerds out there, this is one of the most important verses in the book of Romans because it's the first mention in Romans of the Holy Spirit and it's the first mention of the love of God. Your hope, grounded in proven faith, won't be let down because the Spirit testifies of the immense love that God has for you, the plans He has for you, the future He has for you. You've seen this. You've seen good Christian church people go through suffering, even, even people of solid faith, and yet they are filled with anger and resentment against God. What's the difference? As Paul explains here in the passage, the difference is in seeing your suffering as evidence of God's love, not evidence of God's wrath. Because if you see suffering as God's anger towards you, you'll be frustrated and you will be miserable and you will be no fun at parties. But if you ask people who have gone through suffering who are here, sometimes it's hard to believe God is pouring his love into you, but guess what he is? Sometimes it's hard to believe that as he allows the tribulum to be scraped over your life, he's actually doing that out of sheer love for you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the first and best instalment of God's love in our hearts. And if we're open to him, he reminds us that whatever we're going through, God's presence is with us through it all. I heard a definition of hope as experiencing the future now. And in God, we can have that. 
I want to finish off with a word study, because I'm a nerd, I'm the geek of geeks and the nerd of nerds. There's an interesting thing about the word hope in the Hebrew language. If we can get the next one up, please, Finlay. Hebrew is a concrete language. If you study it, it's concrete. It doesn't have words for abstract ideas. It doesn't muck around. It'll tell you up front what it's on about. And it'll use tangible words to help you understand things in a visual setting. It tries to paint a picture in the language so that you know what they're on about here. In Hebrew, the secondary word, the secondary definition of the word hope, or tikva, is to wait with patience. And that's what we would know hope as. But the primary definition of the word hope in Hebrew is this, a rope. A rope made of several strands twisted together for strength. And the mention of tikva in the Bible is in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua is preparing to lead Israel into the promised land that God had promised them. And he sends two spies ahead into the land and they come to the house of Rahab, who's a prostitute. The king of Jericho has found out about these two spies and he wants them dead. So he orders Rahab to turn over the spies, to give them up, so that he can capture them, get intel out of them and ultimately kill them. But Rahab, sensing something in God, hides the spies on her roof, covers them so that the king can't find them, the armies can't find them and she keeps them safe. And this puts Rahab in a vulnerable place. It, it, it puts her in a place where she is now fearing for her life from the armies of Jericho. And she gets the spies to swear an oath that when Jericho is conquered, when the Israel armies storm the place, that they will let her and her family live. And the spies say this, okay, when the armies come, leave a rope hanging out of your window. Our forces will see the rope and you and your family will be spared. So she puts this rope out the window, the spies climb down the rope, they make their escape and she kept that rope there and if you read in the passage, that rope saved her and her family from inevitable destruction. And that rope is a picture to us of what God has for us in hope. Because hope isn't this taking a deep breath and wishing that things will turn out all right. It's an assurance that God is going to do what he said he would do. And hope actually becomes a lifeline that doesn't depend on the outcome, it depends on God. You've heard it said, if you run out of rope, tie a knot in it and hang on, whatever situation you're in right now, if you're low on hope, I'm going to ask you to twist together your knowledge of, what, of who God is, what God has already done in your life and in your world and what he has promised you for the future. Tie them together, hold on for dear life. Because what matters is who the rope is tied to. The rope is tied to God, who is immovable, who is sturdy and who is permanent. I want to finish off with a quote from John Piper. We'll skip the next one, please. Finlay, we'll go to the last slide. Darkness comes. In the middle of it, the future looks blank and the temptation to quit is huge. Don't. You're in good company. You will argue with yourself that there is no way forward, but with God, nothing is impossible. He has more ropes and ladders and tunnels out of pits 
than you can conceive. Wait, pray without ceasing, and hope. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Hey God, it's us. We need your hope. We need to see that rope dangling down that we can hold on to with an assurance and a confidence that you are at work. We need a knowledge that you have got this and you're working it out for our good. In whatever way you deem, God, we trust you. Even though, as Job says, even if you slay us, we will trust you. God, I pray for everybody here that this week you would show them where the ropes are. You would show them where they can hang on to you, where they can find safety, where they can find peace, and that you would remind us who you are, what you've done, and what you've promised. And help us to take that hope to those around us who need to know you more. We love you, God. We honour you. In Jesus' name. And maybe you're here tonight. It's another group I want to pray for. Maybe you're here tonight, and this whole Christianity thing, this whole hope thing, it sounds wonderful, Craig. That sounds nice. You're talking about suffering, and I actually think it sounds okay. It's because of Jesus that we do this. He is the one that gets us through this. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of people in this room right now who have a testimony where the suffering they've gone through has brought perseverance, which has led to character and trust in him. And ultimately, it has given us a real and living hope. And I want to offer that to you. Look, I'm not, I'm not here to do a slick sales job. I just want to offer you Jesus. Maybe tonight you can take hold of that rope for yourself. Maybe you've been away from God for a while and you want to come back. There is forgiveness and grace for you aplenty. If tonight you want to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who entrusts their life to the love and the leadership of God, I want to pray for you specifically. And what we'll do while we have our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if you'd like me to include you in that prayer, I'm going to ask you on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'll see it, I'll acknowledge it. You can put it back down and then we'll pray together. And then at the end of the, end of the service, I'll ask you to come and say hello. I'd love to put a Bible in your hands. I'd love to get you started on this journey. And then where I can, based on the things I've seen, maybe show you where some of the ropes are. So if that's you, on the count of three, I'll see your hand and I'll pray for you. One. Maybe, maybe tonight's tonight. Maybe tonight's tonight you become a Christian. Maybe you can sense God just talking in your heart, drawing you forward. Two. And three. If that's you, raise your hand, we'll spot it. Father, I thank you for everyone in this room, every family they represent. I pray this week would be a week filled with hope, a week filled with the peace that comes from that hope and knowing that you are at work, be it behind the scenes, be it big and bright and beautiful, however you are working, God, I pray that we would have a peace that you are in action. I pray for everyone here in Macquarie, God, that you'd give them a blessed week, that they would know your voice, they would hear. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macquarielifechurch.com.au.